We've been um, in a series for, uh, this is, is our second week. Last week we started this series called Overwhelmed, and we talked just about our thought life, how significant it is, how important it is that we can go to God and give Him our thought life and let the Holy Spirit control what we let in. We are the gatekeepers of our thoughts, and so that's kind of where, where we ended with that. Today we're going to pick up and continue to talk on, on this topic, and I'm going to give you two uh, strong points today, but... Let's just revisit this for just a moment. One of the most common complaints in our modern society is this statement, I just feel overwhelmed. I just feel it. So many times we can't even describe the symptom of it. Physiologically, we struggle to communicate in words what it means to be overwhelmed. For some, it's a pressure on their chest. For some, it's just it's a headache. For some, it's loss of sleep. For for some, it's just it's seeing the world in such a bad light, and we just we feel the weightiness of our emotions of just being overwhelmed. And it doesn't help. We're in such a big hurry. I mean, I, I personally feel a lot of times myself like I'm just rushing to the next thing, to the next place, to the next meal, to the next meeting, to the next task. I know a guy who called his wife on his phone and said and asked her, have you seen my phone? And he's talking on it. Um, we all know that, that, that moment or that, that feeling when we, when we think we've misplaced our phone, when we, when we think we're disconnected, we're isolated for just a moment from the alerts and notifications and texts and calls and emails and all on and on and on and on. We know that, that feeling that we're suddenly on an island and, and we, we panic about it to be disconnected for just a, a little while. The advanced parts of our world are certainly obsessed with moving faster. I think subconsciously we buy things sometimes and engage in things just because their name even indicates speed. For example, we ship items using Federal Express. We have a phone carrier called Sprint. We balance our accounts using Quicken. We even diet using SlimFast. For some of you sickos, you'll wear a bathing suit this summer called Speedo. <laughs> After you wear it, it'll be called Speedoo, okay? But e either way, here's some Kevinology for you, but being overwhelmed can be a result of too much. There's too much information, too much news, too much data. We're inundated with this feeling like we have to know all of it. So we try to read every article and watch every video and reply to every single message. Constant connectivity and inundated with too much. There's even too many toothpaste options. You go to the, to the grocery store, wherever it is, and you, know, you really only, only need two options, peppermint, spearmint, that's it. But it's like 150 options. I mean, do we really have to have all that? Many are overwhelmed with debt. They say to themselves, I'm never going to get out of this. All of these student loans, all of these credit cards, I wish someone would have helped me years ago and told me that this equals that. I'm overwhelmed. Many are overwhelmed with work. I can't keep up. I never take off. It's too much. The Bible talks about being overwhelmed, and he, it talks about worry and, and dealing with loneliness and dealing with grief. 
Here's a big truthful point. The more overwhelmed we are, the more we try to control the things around us. I don't know if you've ever seen this show, Hoarding, but it's interesting. You should take a moment of your life and dedicate it to this show. And the premise of, 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 of hoarding is, is walking into a life that is in complete disarray, out of control, or so it seems. And at, at the bottom of all of this junk and all of this unorganized stuff, you find a person that's been traumatized, a person who is lonely, a person that is deeply hurt. And because of that isolation or hurt or trauma, they have tried to grasp a false sense of control. Therefore, they try to say, if I can control anything, I'm going to be able to control my stuff. I can't control the people. I can't control my trauma. I can't control the pain. I can't control what you do. I can't control what, what the world does. But I can't control whether or not I throw away this paper plate full of food. Or whether or not I choose to stack it and become emotionally involved with it and stack and stack and stack and stack. And I'm, I'm going to control this room. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control what I do and who, who takes that and who doesn't. I, I'm, I'm in control of it. It's a false sense of control, of stability. But we want that. We want control. And when we feel overwhelmed, our, our desire and thirst for it grows stronger and stronger. I want to talk to you today about two remarkable weapons of self-destruction. I can tell you that when you are overwhelmed, these two things I'm going to talk about this morning are stone-cold killers. Satan wants these two radicals to, to grow inside of you at rapid paces and ultimately destroy you. And the first one this morning is this, hopelessness. Hopelessness. When we are overwhelmed one of the first things we'll start to feel is hopeless. These statistics vary, but basically you can go three weeks without food, three days without water, five minutes without air, and for all of us Razorback fans, you can go 20 years without a national championship. There was a man who was married for 50 years, and he got up to talk at his anniversary his speech, and, and he says this, he told the crowd, all these 50 years seem like five minutes underwater, okay? And so your life can go without a lot of things, but you can't make it without hope. Hope is one of those uh, items on a very short list that weaves its way into every fiber of your, of your being. It affects your mind. It affects your spirit. It even affects your body. If you're going through something that is of a physical na nature and you feel hopeless, it feels like the weight of the world is sitting on top of you. Any area of your life that becomes hopeless starts to die. And when you feel hopeless about any area, you begin giving up and a big desire to quit moves in. Suddenly in your mind, you start to have these thoughts. I'm going to quit this job. I'm undervalued. I don't like the people I work with. It's a dead end. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit this marriage. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I don't have time for this anymore. I'm getting older. I'm going to quit this marriage. I'm going to quit parenting. 
Those kids are going to do whatever they want to do anyway. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to quit this church. Nobody even knows when I'm not here. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit living for God. It's too hard. It's too much of a challenge. I'm not designed to run this race. I'm going to quit. When we get hopeless, we trade in that feeling of faith for a feeling of quitting. It's hope that gives us and feeds us the energy to keep moving forward, to keep taking a risk and trying again and showing up. It's hope that makes us dream. It's hope that inspires vision. It's hope that continues to generate creativity. Hope aims our thoughts toward being solution-focused. We no longer sit in a cesspool of consequence, but we, we begin to think, I can get out of this. I can rise up out of this. One hopeless thought, given enough headspace, can completely derail you. If you feel hopeless about your marriage, hopeless about ever getting married, feel hopeless about your finances, or feel hopeless about your health, those areas will start a withering process. It is a self-destructive weapon that you use on you. Let me give you some scripture. Romans chapter 15, this is a great, great prayer, and I want you to, to hear the magnitude of these words. He says this in verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you trust in him. That when the circumstance looks bad, you know where your source is. And you continue to have hope because you trust in him. And then he goes on. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go on to Jeremiah 29. A lot of you know this one by heart. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not, not to harm you. And watch this. Plans to give you hope and a future. Those two always ride in tandem. Hope and a future. You can't be excited about tomorrow when there's no hope. You can't be excited about your future. You can't be excited about the next year. You can't be excited about the next page. You can't be excited about any of it when you don't have hope. Okay? You got to have hope to be able to enjoy the future. My sister has been battling cancer for almost a decade. And her life's journey this past 10 years has been a, a roller coaster. She'll have cancer in a certain area of her body. They'll treat it, treat it well. It'll go into remission, and then it comes up in another area of her body. And then they'll treat it. She'll go into remission, and then they'll, it'll pop up somewhere else. And so she goes on this roller coaster of emotion that's kept her almost detached from the physical world. She's had her thoughts toward heaven for so long that it's been very, very difficult to just get anchored into everyday day life. And so she, you know, is raising a son, she's married, she's a pastor's wife, and, you know, it's been very hard for her to think, I, I, might, I might be saying goodbye to my son, I might be widowing my husband, I might be waving goodbye to my friends, and I'm so young, and, and you know, all, all this is, is happening, and so she starts to think so much more about eternity. But this year, for the first time, she, she told me, she said, Kevin, I'm really starting to be excited about the future, what she's saying is this, I've got some hope, that I'm starting to feel a level of hope in my life that I haven't had for a decade, 
And that hopes, uh, the, the symptom of that hope is allowing me to, to look toward my tomorrow and be excited about it. I might see my son getting married. I might see grandchildren. I might see, uh, you know, the next phase of excitement and adventure over our church. And, and hope has invaded her, her, her life. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the faith chapter, tells us this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Meaning this, hope is a big, big ingredient in the recipe of your faith. Okay? It's very, very difficult for you to have faith when hope has not been the forerunner. When hope is going before you, it stirs the faith inside of you to believe that God can do something amazing. And every time God shows up, he brings hope with him. He is the, the source. The second big weapon of self-destruction I want to talk about this morning is bitterness. Bitterness. When we're overwhelmed, it is very easy to get bitter. For some in this place this morning, you know that you are bitter. You can point at a place in your life where it started. If we put your, time, your, your life on a timeline, you could almost indicate by, by a, a, red, a red marker, I, I've been bitter then, and then, and then, and then, and then this one lasted five years, and I'm still bitter. You, you, the bitterness in your life is very, very clear. For others, it's, 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 it's hidden because you've experienced it and held on to it for so long that it is now a, a, a new normal for you. That it now is part of the landscape of your life, and now it's like when you pull up at your house, you don't notice it. You just—it's part of the landscape. It's in a blind spot. And if you are that person who points out the weaknesses and everything, the weaknesses about your home and the weaknesses about your church and the weaknesses about the people around you, then you are a fault finder and a score taker. When everyone's weaknesses are glaring at you, it's because you are bitter. And bitter people see life through a bitter lens. And you can be the most talented, gifted, financially stable, light, just energy person. But when you become bitter, it can change the entire direction and course of, of, of your life. We've all got to get this one right. Because life is unfair. We don't all get the same experience. We don't all get the same opportunity. Life looks completely different for every single person in here. And bitterness is so self-destructive, and you always hurt you the most. So let me give you a solid, solid scripture on Hebrews chapter 12. Watch this, verse 14. He says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness with which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. That by the bitterness in our life, he's saying where there's bitterness, there's trouble. And where there's that kind of trouble, somebody is getting defiled in the process. Okay. Now, in the natural world, when you plant a tomato, you get a tomato. You can bet on it. But with bitterness, it's fruit. It's different. It morphs. It evolves. It looks differently. It's hard to pinpoint and diagnose. 
For example, we get bitter, and that might manifest as an addiction to cover the pain, to escape momentarily from something that's so hurtful. Or I'm bitter, and now I'm envious. Or now I'm bitter, and now I'm jealous. Or now I'm bitter, so I isolate. I don't want you in my life anymore. We isolate ourselves. The entire course of life is changed through, through bitterness. When you are bitter, hear me today, you become toxic. Okay, Jared Allgood, the guy that goes to our church, was in the hospital a year, year and a half ago, and he was very sick, and I went. And right outside of his room, they had like a hazmat station. And so I, I, I go up to the door, and I got to zip into this suit and throw something over my hair and my face, cover up with a mask, gloves, and cover my feet up. And it hit me, and so I turn around to the nurse, and I'm like, what does he have that, that, that I could get? Because I can pray right here. I don't even have to go in there. And they know, no, 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 it's you we're worried about. It's, we're worried about you giving him something. And that, that sets, it kind of hurts my, my feelings, you know. But we, we, you think about this, this is how we are a lot of times when we're bitter. We don't even realize we are bringing a level of toxicity to every aspect of our lives. We have a toxic attitude and a toxic perspective, and a toxic worldview. And we have, we're spewing toxic conversation, and we're, we're turning people. It's exactly what Hebrews is saying, that when we get bitter, we cause trouble. And you might really be a good person. You're not trying to do it, but you're eaten up with bitterness. It has it is worked its way through your entire being. Bitterness deceives Okay? I want you to pay attention this morning to this. I want us to reflect. Let's go back in our minds to the conversation Satan has with Eve in the garden. Because when bitterness starts to deceive us, we feel justified. And here's why. Because deception always has a little bit of truth in it. That's what gets us hooked. It sounds right, so we buy into it. And then it comes with a hard twist. So this is exactly what Satan did with, with Eve. Okay, now I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically how this conversation went, went down. Satan says, hey, God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like him. Well, they already were like him. The Bible tells us we were made in his image, that God breathed onto them, and, and they, they became alive, a living soul, it says. There was something already going on in them that was like God. And then, and then he says, and then you're going to know good. Okay, well, listen, they were already, again, in context, walking with God, talking with God, having active conversation with God. They knew God, and they therefore they knew good. But he's turning it on them, okay? So what is, is the uh, trick here? Well, here's the, the lie is this. Eve God is not doing something for you that he should be doing or that he could be doing or that he would be doing. And she buys into that. Really? You think, you think God's holding out? I do. I think God's holding out, and I think that if you would eat this, you will really see all the things that he's withheld from you. This is a very old lie. It's a big bait and a great bait and one that has worked well throughout history. We see it in the garden. 
We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We've seen it evolve throughout our own history and even right up to this, to Hawkins Drive this morning. This is the same play being repeated over and over and over. You guys remember when Darren McFadden played for the Razorback? Same play over and over and over. And a, a toddler could be in your lap and say, I know it's going to Darren McFadden. It was the only play that we, we could run. Give the ball to Darren McFadden. It's the same thing. It's the enemy doing it over and over and over and over again in all of our circumstances. God could be a better God to you. God could be, could, could be better. He's, he's withholding goodness from you because you're not good enough. And so therefore we buy into re, re, religiosity. Well, let's see. If I, if I go to church, let's see, 50 out of 52 weekends, God's got to be pleased with that. And if I, if, I, if I give this amount, and if I, if I serve so much, and if I, if I dress the right way, and if I talk the right way, and if I drive around the movie theater, and if I, if, 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 if I, if I don't go there, and I don't talk to them, and, I, and, and we develop this list of works that we feel like we, because we buy into that. God would be better if you would do this. It sticks us. It hurts. And this big God that we thought was close suddenly in our minds becomes far away. Watch this. In the book of Ruth, Naomi is a foreigner, it says. And here's why she's a foreigner. There's been a major famine. She's lost everything. Family, possession, all of it. And she makes this statement in Scripture. You can read it for yourself this, this afternoon. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. Then she takes it a step further. She says, don't even call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I'm not even the same girl anymore. I'm not even a her. I don't even want to identify with her. I was not, Na Na Naomi was naive. This is Mara now. I know what's going on, God. I, I, the scales have, been, have fallen off. The veil has been lifted. I know you, and I know what's going on, and, and, and you did this. You're the one responsible for the famine and the lack of family and the lack of possessions. You, you are holding out on me. It's the same lie that the enemy was working with, with Eve. If we're honest this morning, I mean, I have to say, there have been times in my life where I would like for God to immediately judge before my eyes all the people that have ever intentionally okay, or unintentionally, hurt me. I mean, you can't de 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 deny this morning with me that you've ever sat there and said, God, I pray all four of your tires are flat tomorrow in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? You pray over people. God, I just pray. I pray her alarm does not go off in the morning and she's late for work and she loses her job. I pray it on everything that's holy. Some of y'all go further. You're like, God, I pray hemorrhoids on every person that I work with. Just bless the whole business with hemorrhoids. You would never go, yeah, that's me. I'm doing it. But you've thought of something in your heart that isn't right towards somebody else. But here's why God doesn't answer your prayer. Because he loves them as much as he loves you. For God so loved the world, okay? Every single soul has a value, all of them. And so God continues to bless. 
because he loves us. I'm going to close with this. When Jesus was being crucified, they came to him and they offered him a, a, a mix of sour wine and gall, okay? The book of Psalms calls it a bitter drink. And what did Jesus do? Okay, watch this. Okay, let, let, let me land this really strong today. What did Jesus do? He tasted it, but he did not drink it. This is the perfect illustration for us. Every single person in this room is going to have an opportunity in your life to be bitter. It's coming. If you haven't had it yet, it will come. You will have an opportunity for bitterness. You're going to taste it, but you don't have to drink it. It will touch your lips. You'll know it's present. You'll know it's in that moment. And you have to make a big, grown-up, spiritual choice. I am not going to become bitter. I'm going to spit this out. Amen. Now, don't you think about this for just, just a minute. Jesus could have been tempted to say, I don't want to die for these people. These cruel people. I've done nothing but give to you, give you insight into how I've touched your bodies. Some of you in this crowd today, you were dead and now you're, now you're alive. Lame and now you walk, blind and now you see. Because I, I've personally touched your life. And what do I get? You've tortured me. I'm crucified. Just, just forget it. But no, he chose. You know what, what, he, what he chose to do? He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. That word forgiveness and one, one de definition of it is to let, let go. The, the visual is actually to open your hand and let whatever's in it just, just fall away. For some, man, you have white-knuckled your bitterness and, and, and memories and people and stuff and, and faith issues and soul issues and mind issues, and you have held on and held on and held on, and, and, and you have drank the bitter cup, man. But you have a choice. You're going to taste it, but you don't have to drink it. You can choose. I'm not going to let that become part of my body, become part of my thought life, become part of my spirit. It is not going to have anything in my life. I'm not, I'm, I reject to be a bitter person. And when you do, you will find yourself getting healthy. You will find yourself being full of faith. You'll find yourself being hopeful. You will find yourself looking at the lives of people and being able to, to celebrate with them. I had a friend this week, and it, this is so twisted, but he was like, hey, are, are you nervous that, that there's another campus going to BB? I was like, no, why, why would I be nervous? Because, you know, it's just, it's just like you, just down the road. No. We're, we're, we're going to celebrate every single win. It's why we pray for other churches in our city every week. Why? Because we want to celebrate those people. We want to celebrate what God is doing. It's not about a sign or an address or who worships where. It's about the kingdom. 
And so we have this choice. We can choose to live life and live it abundantly, or we can white knuckle till we lose our minds. Don't drink the bitter cup, all right? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And listen, there's a there's a strong potential that there's some in here this morning and bitterness and hopelessness has ran its course in your life so strongly that you might be hurt or upset with somebody beside you, and I'm not talking about physically beside you, but an old friend, a colleague, a boss, somebody you go to church with, worship with, a spouse, an ex-spouse, a an adult child. You, you, you've just got animosity in your life. For some, you got bitterness and hopelessness about something you've done. You're so disappointed in you and the choice you make, something you did, something you messed up really big on. So you just internalize it. For some, you're, you're upset with God. You feel hopeless in your faith. Think about your life and you have fallen for the same bait that you failed for and so many thousands of people in humanity that God has held out on you. And so the tentacles in your life run external, internal, and, and vertical. You, you, it's everywhere. You need to spit out that bitterness in your life today. You need to open your hands Open your hands. Stop trying to fight and flail. Get out of survival mode. And welcome peace into your life. Open your hands. And let God bring joy to your life, okay?